0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. God. Good evening, my family. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be here. I feel better than the, uh, than the astronaut's girlfriend. He, uh, did you hear what he said to her? for an excuse to break up with her? I I, I need some space. (laughs) Well, let's get into something good now. Now that I've tortured you with that thought. Hebrews chapter 6. We are at a wonderful chapter in the Bible. I have been looking forward to teaching this Part to you and this you know this book is really something because it um, as I told you Hebrews can be narrowed down if you could say one word if you could narrow it down to one word it would be the word better better because the author of Hebrews writer does an amazing amazing thing in the way he presents it the argument for Christ and nothing else remember it opens up in chapter 1 where he says God who at various times and in various ways in time past spoke to us by the prophets but has in these last days spoken to us by his son in other words what was is no more the final answer from god the final word from god is his son all right he's the let me say this jesus is the whole counsel of god all right he is the whole counsel of God so if you preach anything or anything hear any preaching that is not centered around Jesus then it is not the whole counsel of God and the gospel of Christ is the whole counsel of God is so we all understand because people use preachers and teachers of the of the scriptures use uh, that thought as an excuse to just preach everything let me just say this to you. We are not called to preach the whole Bible. We're called to preach Jesus throughout the whole Bible. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, okay? We're called to preach Jesus throughout the entire Bible because guys who say, well, I preach the whole counsel of God, they believe that they, you should preach the gospel and you should preach the law together to balance grace, right? Nothing can be further from the truth. That's just ignorance, all right? And what that has done for the church is kept the church ignorant and 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 confused about a great many things Jesus the scripture says the law came through Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ let's get over where Jesus is in grace and truth notice that truth is over on the side of Jesus alright truth is over on the side of grace so that's why we preach him because he is everything he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily the scripture says and the scripture says, you are complete in him. All right? So Hebrews is talking about the superiority of Christ. And this, this author goes through and begins to, to hammer at the men's religious traditions. All right? One being heralding the prophets as the ultimate when, Jesus, when he says, no, Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's the final word. Then they talk about... The law of Moses, or Moses himself, and he says he's greater than Moses. And they talk about Joshua. Was Joshua great? Heck yeah, Joshua was great. Jesus is named after Joshua. That's what his name was, Joshua, Yeshua Hamashiach, Joshua the Messiah. He became Jesus through Greek transliteration, but everybody else knew him as Joshua. And the reason that he's named Joshua is because Joshua, that name means deliverer. All right, Moses means drawn out. Moses is by far the greatest figure in the Old Testament, by far, all right? So if God was going to name his son after someone to be the greatest figure in the New Covenant, you'd think that Moses would be a good name to name him. But no, he wanted you, he wanted you, he named his son Jesus or Joshua so that every time you say that name, think about this, Moses did live up to his name, didn't he? He, draw, he drew them out of Egypt. He brought them out, but that's as far as he took them. Joshua was the one who delivered him into the promised land, all right? So every time you utter the name of Jesus, you're saying deliverer, and you're focused more on what you've been brought into than what you've been brought out of. That's what he wants you identifying with all the time, what you've been brought into now. You know, I hear the, I, I, don't, I remember growing up and hearing people give their testimony, and I appreciate people giving their testimony, but you know, after a while, you're just like, my gosh, I mean, the guy stands up there and says, I shot this, and I stabbed that, and I killed this, and... And I smoked this, and I did that, and, and Jesus saved me, and Jesus can save you too. And everybody's like, oh, my God, what a wonderful testimony. That guy's got such a powerful testimony. You need to hear him, all the stuff he was in. And we're all, we compare a good testimony by what all the stuff they came out of. What about what you've been brought into? Because let me say, what you've been brought into is far greater than what you've been brought out of. huh? The greatest testimony is what Jesus has done for you, not what you came out of. But what he's brought you into, that's a good testimony. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we need to spend more time talking about what we're in, not what we're from. Yeah. What we are in now. Now, Paul says to remember those things where we came. Remember that we were. But, hey, that, that's, just a, that's like driving down the highway, and you're looking through your windshield for to go forward. And you have the rearview mirror, but it's not as big as that windshield, is it? Right? It's a point of reference. Right? But you don't focus on the rearview mirror. You just check it from time to time. Hmm? Your focus is the windshield. All right? What he's been brought you into is what you're looking at, your inheritance, where you are now in Christ. Where you were, that's just, yeah, that's where I was. Thank God I'm not there anymore. Praise God, this is where I am. You might not be where you want to be today, but praise God, you're not where you once were. All right? And we're all works in progress. Well, that that was fun okay so now we come to and, and remember he's fighting this system where they are continuing to to perform these animal sacrifices for the atonement of their sins after Jesus has already come and he's trying to pull these Jewish people into this new covenant reality hey Jesus is the final sacrifice He's the once-for-all sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those sacrifices you're practicing over there, they can't take away any sins. That, that blood would just kind of cover it up so God wouldn't kill them until the one perfect sacrifice would come, as Abraham said on that mountain, not even knowing what he was saying. I believe he just didn't even know what he was saying except by the Spirit of God when he said God will provide for himself the Lamb for the sacrifice. Only God could prepare, only God could prepare the sacred the, the lamb that could take away the sin of the world. No man could make that happen. But God provided himself a lamb when he sent us his son, the perfect lamb of God. Amen. So now, so since that, and he's talking, remember last week we ended in chapter 5 where he was talking about that they were, they were, I'd like to teach you more things, he said, but you, you've gone back to desiring milk and you're just, you're acting like babies. Then we get to chapter 1 of verse 6. Now watch this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Verse 4 through 8 is where there's lots of controversy, okay? But we're going to clear some things up tonight, all right? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Wow. It sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? It's impossible, he says, to renew them to repentance. Once Those who were once enlightened, they have tasted the heavenly gift, they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit, they tasted the good word of God. It's impossible, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. All right? Now, the preacher who, who, who likes to preach the things of the law and likes to preach condemnation, those kinds of things, He's going to take this passage of Scripture and he's going to scare you with it. All right? He's going to say things like, see, right here, right here. Nobody says you can lose your salvation. Obviously you can't. Right there. So you need to come back to God. But this says, okay, if, let's go along with that line for a moment. Let's go along with that argument. Let's say that this is what he's talking about. All right? That you can fall away and, and, and that's it. That means you can never come back. If if this is what this is about. Because it says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And the same guy that will say this says you lose your salvation is the same guy that tells people come back to God, repent. You can't do that. If, If this is saying what you're saying, then it's impossible to repent. Impossible. Something's not adding up. Something's not adding up. This is not about loss of salvation. We're going to look at a verse of scripture that is going to clear all of this up tonight. All right? Help you really get an understanding of what he's talking about as far as those who have tasted the heavenly gift, those kinds of things. But let's read on. Let's read on. Now, look what it says. It says, since verse, uh, oh, where was that? Verse six. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open Is it possible to crucify Jesus again? Is that going to happen again? Or is it once for all? Is that possible? It's not possible. Right? How are they doing this then? How how are they crucifying him again uh, for themselves? How is that happening? Hmm. What does that look like? Why did he say it like that? Well, let's go to the next verse. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. Verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, everybody say thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I want to stop right there for a moment and go over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As we enjoy this little song look at this Adam and Eve and the serpent have all been caught in the act all right they're all caught there together God shows up and there they all are all right and so God begins to hand out the consequences of their actions okay and here he says to Adam he's already spoken to the serpent and he's already spoken to Eve and now to Adam he says because you have heeded the voice of your wife that's another sermon and have eaten <laughs> That was better than the first joke. Oh, you're back. <laughs> and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the what? Ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. Could there be a connection here? Is it possible there's a connection? Now go to Mark 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. Watch this. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. Now do you remember do you remember when um, Jesus is giving this parable and he said, a man went out to scatter seed, right? And some fell uh, on the wayside, some fell uh, on stony ground, some fell among thorns, and then some fell on good ground. And so the disciples said, what, what, is, what does this parable mean? And he said, the sower sows the word. This is the real meaning of the parable. The sower sows the word. And then he begins to say, uh, what kind of soil or heart condition is receiving the seed of the word? Then he gets to here and says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. So listen, the thorns are already there. The thorns didn't come up. They're already there, and he sows it among the thorns. Among the thorns. This is ground that already has thorns on it. Now listen, this means this ground is not good ground. This ground is not good ground this ground is (coughs) cursed ground and the word is coming across this cursed ground of thorns and they are the ones who hear the word and watch and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things otherwise this is what the thorns are He's, he's explaining to us what the thorns are the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in, choke that word, and it becomes unfruitful. Choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now let's go back to Hebrews. We're going to pull all of this together, this thought together. Hebrews chapter 6 and uh, where were we, verse 7? Somewhere around verse 7? For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. Eight. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So he's teaching us that the kind of person who has tasted the heavenly gift, they've, 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 they've heard the good word of God, those kinds of things, but they are already thorny ground. All right? So when that word has been so when they've been in this atmosphere of hearing the gospel, yet they keep coming back to this other system, which is a cursed system now called living under the law. Living under the law is a cursed system. Are you hearing me? At one time it was, it was, it was okay, but, but that has passed away. The age of the law has passed away. It's a now a cursed system. It's not a blessed system. It's a cursed system. It is... It is there to take you away from the truth of the gospel that's what this was doing for them it was taking them away from the truth of christ it was taking them away from the belief that jesus blood satisfied everything so they kept relying on these animal sacrifices listen to me so this thing's over and yet they're still doing it all right so then when the word comes and they they they, they're under the influence of all these other things whatever they know in thorns comes in and chokes out that word and it's unfruitful in their lives Alright? So they've never fully accepted the truth of the gospel. They've never fully accepted it. Watch. this This is what is this is the warning. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. This is how stuck in their ways they are. Repentance means to change your mind. They are not going to change their mind. They're stuck in this. You can't win people like that. You can't win people who want both law and grace. You can't win them. It's impossible. And I thought about all those times I've argued with those guys trying to do the impossible. Win these guys. When they're not going to be won. They're not going to win. Okay, let's keep going. Look at this, verse 9. But, beloved, here's, here's the verse right here. Listen to this. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Now, I want you to notice he's not saying you fall away. He's talking about a group of people, those who have those who have. He says, but we're confident of better things concerning you and this is the line. You need to highlight this in your Bible. Yes, things that accompany. Is it possible that he's saying that those are those that are not saved? Is it possible that's what he is saying? They look the part, but they ain't the part. They have the face, the good face of religion, but they've got thorns in their soil. Okay? Look, we're confident of things concerning better things concerning things that accompany salvation. That doesn't accompany salvation. We're confident of things concerning you, that which, aco- are you catching this? That which accompanies salvation. Your, ex- your experience and a life that is saved, a, 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 a person that is saved has a different reality than what we just read. Okay, though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do ministers. In other words, the things that accompany salvation are works that reap rewards. Works that reap all the works that these guys are trying to do are works to get play, to get some kind of grace to, you can't earn grace, to, try some, to get in God's good graces by going through the, the religious uh, uh, gyrations, all right? And they're not getting anything. It's thorns and thistles. It's briars because anything outside of Christ ain't going to do it, okay? So, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Did you see that? The same diligence to the full assurance of hope. In other words, he's saying, be diligent to stay fully assured. Be diligent to stay fully assured. Fully assured in what? Fully assured that Jesus Christ paid for everything. Jesus Christ took away all our sins. Fully assured that if he did that, then we have a full assurance that we will be with him in glory then. Yeah. In the same way that he died for our sins, he also rose again from the dead for us. Everything that Jesus did, he did for you. He did it so that you can know it's, this is what's going to happen to you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I'm not being crucified. I was crucified. Yeah. When was I crucified? When Christ was crucified because now I'm in him. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead which means if he rose again so will you so will your loved ones who died in jesus they'll come back that's the assurance that you have the full assurance that if jesus did it we get to too and he ascended to the father guess what you get to do you get to ascend to the father Paul says that there, there are those who are dead, those who sleep in Jesus, and we will by no means precede them. If we're still here when, when, when Jesus returns, then they, they get first class seats, the dead go up first, and then we come up and we get caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Because just as Jesus went up, so are you going up. Amen. You get what Jesus gets. So he showed us what our experience will be. So that we have full assurance of hope never doubting never wavering but when you trust yourself that's when trouble starts when you trust in your own righteousness you trust in your own works you don't have any assurance you have no assurance I, I was talking to a man some time ago who who's his part of a great ministry I'm not going to name the ministry because we've we've uh, been partners with them um, from time to time in different projects and stuff but uh, I was talking to him one night, uh, one afternoon, actually, over at the church office on the phone, and uh, we were talking about the project we had just got through doing, and it was a great success. And he said, you know, Pastor Eric, it's uh, it's, it's always a practice of mine. Every night, every night before I go to bed, I confess all my sins just in case. And I went, just in case what? Because you know we got to be right with him. been working in this ministry touching the world and don't have assurance in your salvation whoa what are you doing this for then man? because if you're trusting yourself this is all for nothing just in case is it possible actually to confess all your sins what if you forgot one is it possible you could forget? Yeah, it's very possible. So if our salvation is dependent on that, we are screwed. It's over for us. We might as well just go live however we want to live. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? I mean, why? Why? I mean, you've got to confess all your sins. I mean, it's interesting. You know? Both the Catholic and the Protestant church have a big problem with this. The Catholics say you need to go confess to the priest to be forgiven and at the same time say Jesus forgave you for all your sins. Well, which is it? Did he forgive me or do I need more forgiveness? And the Protestants like to use 1 John 1, 9 and beat us to death with a, take a verse of scripture out of context and teach us you better confess your sins if you want him to be faithful and forgive you. And then also they say Jesus took away all your sins and forgave you all your sins. Well, which is it? Did he forgive me of all my sins or I have to keep confessing so I can keep receiving forgiveness? Which is it? It can't be both. It can't be both. You've got to think about these things. Did he forgive you all your sins? Did he forgive you all your sins? Remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Think about this. If confessing your sins, listen to me, is if confessing your sins is as important as people have made it through the years, why doesn't the Apostle Paul say one thing about it? Not one. I have to ask myself that question. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Any Gentiles in here? Anybody eat bacon in here? Shrimp? You a Gentile. Huh? If if our salvation is hinging on this, if it is depending on us confessing our sins to get right with God, Why doesn't the Apostle to the Gentile Church say one thing about it? John says one thing, and he's building a case against uh, the agnostics of that time who believe that there is no such thing as us being sinners. There is no such thing as Jesus needing to come and save us because we are all at the zenith of spirituality as it is. As a matter of fact, this body is really more of a figment of our imagination. And these things aren't real. And John says, <laughs> that's real, really? Because he opens up his book, First John chapter 1. It says, that which we handled with our hands, we heard him speak. We saw this man. He's real. We saw God in the flesh. His name was Jesus Christ. So he's fighting that agnostic system, and he's teaching them line up line. You can see, I mean, it's just an argument for the need of a Savior. If we say that we have no sin, we're lying and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. In other words, what he's saying is, if we don't confess that we're sinners, what we're really saying is we don't confess that, that, that we need a Savior. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we get over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, Beloved, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate what's an advocate one who speaks on your behalf he's talking about we us as believers we have an advocate with the Father let me tell you something Jesus has a better confession for you than you do let him speak on your behalf his blood speaks on your behalf he's seated in his own blood next to the Heavenly Father right now when uh, Revelation says that when it talks about Jesus let's go over there we just got to read this right quick Revelation chapter 19 Revelation chapter 19 Verse uh, 11. Sorry, David. Thank you for being Johnny on the spot. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. This is so beautiful. I'm jumping way ahead in Hebrews right now with this thought. Now I saw, I love, I love the pictures this, this paints in my head. I, I'm sure that it's just ominous. Now I saw... Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Twelve. We're going to read a while. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, Dipped in blood. Clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the reason that robe is dipped in blood is because right now he's seated on that literal mercy seat, which Moses had as a type and shadow in the Ark of the Covenant. But Jesus is seated on the real mercy seat in his own blood. Because when he ascended to the Father, he took a blood offering. Just like the high priest would do once a year and pour blood. On that mercy seat so Jesus took an offering of his own blood poured it on that mercy seat turned around and sat down in it so when he gets up off of that mercy seat no more mercy for anybody the wrath of the Lamb is going to be unleashed in the earth his robe is dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God verse 14 and the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses who do you reckon that is? That's you. That's you. See, this is this teaches us that there is a rapture. There has to be a rapture. Or how, otherwise, how are we there? Huh? How are we there? And then at his second coming, we're going with him. I can just hear Jesus use that wider line, except clean it up a little bit from tombstone when he says you tell him I'm coming and heaven's coming with me yeah. and the armies of <laughs> armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean. and we all get a horse too I love this followed him on white horses verse 15 now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule that look at this he himself he himself we just get to ride he's gonna do all the fighting we're just, going, we're just going to be on the right side of him because seeing him face to face in that manner, woo, you don't want to see that face. Hmm? He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. 16. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Woo, that's so powerful. He has on his robe. And he has on his thigh he has on his robe and he has on his thigh for God is not unjust forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you've ministered to the Saints and do minister Hebrews Six, eleven, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience. Faith and patience. Say that. Faith and patience. Faith and patience. It's not just faith. It's faith and patience. Inherit the promises. All that means is faith doesn't ever give up. Well, I used to believe that. What happened? Didn't have faith and patience. I, I, I used to, I did, I've confessed the word for many years and that never worked for me. What happened? You lost your patience. Because those who, with, it, we imitate those who, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. You don't give up until you get the promise. You don't give up. Are you hearing me? Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit on your faith. Don't quit on your faith. Don't quit on it. There's a promise that you will inherit. There's a promise that you will inherit. Jeremiah land. Faith and patience. FAP. For when God, what time is it? Okay. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, (laughs) he swore by himself, I swear to me. Saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply you and so after he had patiently say patiently endured he obtained the promise he patiently endured and he obtained the promise do you remember how long it took for that promise to materialize in Abraham's life Abraham's life approximately 25 years I don't want to wait that long get over it who cares who cares how long it takes it's yours Faith and patience, patiently enduring. Amen. So Abraham, because we're still, we're writing and we're still talking about this guy. It took him 25 years to get it. And he's still one of our heroes, isn't he? We all want it to happen immediately. But sometimes it does happen immediately. I'm not saying it never does. But God made a promise to him. And so He had patiently obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's talking about you, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Now watch this. That by two immutable things, I love this, in which it is impossible for God to lie, God said it, and then he says, I swear it will happen. Well, he already said it, so we know he's telling the truth. And then he gives an oath and says, I swear it will happen. So we have two immutable things. These things cannot be broken. These things cannot be reversed. All right? He spoke it how many times? How, How is a matter established in the mouths of two or three witnesses? Okay, why did he do that? Why did he do that? In which it is impossible that by two immutable things we might have strong consolation. Strong consolation. Strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Strong consolation, never doubting this gospel, never doubting this salvation, never doubting this Savior, Jesus Christ. We have strong consolation that we who believe will inherit the promise, if we'll believe and have patience. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk about Melchizedek next week. Fantastic character in the Bible and why Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right? The forerunner has entered for us. In other words, he did it so that we can do it. He showed us how to do it. Showed us how our life is going to end up. Glory to God. Amen. Lord, we love you. We love you tonight. We thank you. Thank you for the immutability of your counsel. We thank you, Lord. Your word says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Thank you, Lord. That tonight you have plans for this generation. This is not a forgotten generation. This is a planned generation by you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the strong consolation that we have because you have promised to us, Lord, these things, and you cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he said it, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken it, and shall he not make it good? Lord, may we be like our father Abraham, who wavered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God who is fully persuaded that he who had made these promises was perfectly able to perform. So we trust you tonight. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up. Help us not to get caught up in our circumstances and forget and lose hope. Help us, Lord, not to grow weary while we're doing well. But, Lord, in due season, knowing in due season we shall reap if we will not lose heart. Strengthen those who are weary tonight. Strengthen them. Lord, give peace to the restless tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you give it freely. Give wisdom to those who are confused, those who don't know that next step, that next place. Thank you for giving them wisdom, Lord. Those who are here, God, that are tied up in knots, I thank you now for the peace of God. Thank you, Lord, for your freedom that we have. Your scripture teaches us that you are a very present help in time of need. And sometimes it's difficult to see the way sometimes it's difficult to know the way but Jesus you said I am the way I am the truth and I am the life help us to always remember that so that we will never other words there's just no way because when we say that we're really saying there's no Jesus for me in this situation Lord you are here for us in that situation and you see ways we don't see and you know ways we don't know I thank you for helping us and revealing these ways to us God The secret has been revealed. The mystery has been known now. That which was hidden from the ages, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Which means if we get Jesus, we get everything. There's nothing hidden from us, from God. There's nothing God is holding back. He will not withhold any good thing from us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, there are those here tonight who need provision. And I thank you, Lord, for making their way prosperous for blessing them you supply all their need according to your riches in glory oh hallelujah it's good to be tapped into that economic system it's good to know that what we have here is not everything that we can have hallelujah we thank you God that you don't supply all of our needs according to what the earth has your word says you supply our need according to how rich you are according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus thank you Lord for that thank you for providing for them in Jesus name Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for healing bodies tonight. Thank you right now for your healing power, just doing what it does. Lord, we just release it in this place now. Release that healing anointing now in Jesus' name. Thank you that your people, it's not right that they're broken. It's not right that they're sick. It's not right that they have disease. It's not right that they have chronic pains, Because you carried our sickness and you bore our pains on that tree for that very purpose, that we would not accept anything less than what you give us. We receive healing now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.